All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories, all glories to Shishu Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Today is Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 8, Prayers by Queen Kunti and Parikshit Saved, Text 51. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajnana Tibhanandasya Jana Jana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I, I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam when will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who was established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sindhubhyavacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Radha Kalachanji, Srila Prabhupada, Srila Gurudev, use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Srinam Madhata Bandhunam Roho yo sav i hotita. Karma bhid grihamedhiyair. Naham kalpo vyapohitam. Srinam Madhata Vadunam Rahuyosavihotita Karma Bhir Kriyamidhiyar Naham Kalpo Vihautitam
Naham kalpo vipohitum Srinam of the women Mat by me Hatabandunam of the friends who are killed Droha enmity Ya that Asau all those Iha Herewith, Utita has accrued. Karma bhi, by dint of work. Riya by persons engaged in material welfare. Na, never. Aham, I. Kalpa, can expect via hitam undoing the same translation and purport by his divine grace ac bhaktivedanta swami Srila Prabhupada. i have killed many friends of women and i have thus caused enmity to such an extent that it is not possible to undo it by material welfare work purport the Griyamedis are those whose only business is to perform welfare work for the sake of material prosperity. Such material prosperity is sometimes hampered by sinful activities, for the materialist is sure to commit sins, even unintentionally, in the course of discharging material duties. To get relief from such sinful reactions, the Vedas prescribe several kinds of sacrifices. It is said in the Vedas that by performing the Ashramedha Yagna, horse sacrifice, one can get relief from even Brahma-hatya, killing of a Brahmana. Yudhisthira Maharaj performed this Ashramada yagna, but he thinks that even by performing such yagnas, it is not possible to get relief from the great sins committed. In war, either the husband or the brother or even the father or sons go to fight, and when they are killed, a fresh enmity is created. And thus a chain of actions and reactions increases, which is not possible to be counteracted, even by thousands of ashramedha yagnas. The way of work, karma, is like that. It creates one action and another reaction simultaneously, and thus increases the chain of material activities, binding the performer in material bondage. In the Bhagavad Gita 9, 27 and 28, the remedy is suggested that such actions and reactions of the path of work can be checked only when work is done on behalf of the Supreme Lord. The battle of Kurukshetra was actually fought by the will of the Supreme Lord, Sri Krishna, as it is evident from his version, and only by his will was Yudhisthira placed on the throne of Hastinapur. Therefore, factually, no sin whatsoever touched the Pandavas, who are only the order carriers of the Lord. For others who declare war out of personal interest, the whole responsibility lies on them. So today we'll be talking about action and reaction, repentance, and God's instructions. So here King Yudhisthira is lamenting that 
during the course of the war of Kurukshetra, that so many lives were lost. And by killing a family member, Prabhupada says in the purport, a father, son, husband, brother, there's enmity created in those who survive, those that are left behind. And that creates a chain reaction because then they want to take revenge, as we saw with the story play out with Ashvatthama and um, the Burmastra, right? So he killed, Ashvatthama killed the sons of the Pandus, um, beheaded them while they were sleeping. And so that was his revenge for losing the war. That created, the war created that enmity in him. And then, you know, Arjuna went after Ashvatthama, right? So there's another reaction. And then Ashvatthama released the Brahmastra. There's another reaction. And as a result of that, Arjuna released the Brahmastra, right? So to be able to counteract and withdraw both of them. But still, Maharaj Parikshit was killed in the womb or he was injured in the womb and Krishna revived him so that he would be born and survive. So we can see this chain reaction, and this is really relevant in today's world because we see so many wars, skirmishes, battles that go on. You know, if we look at even terrorism that we have that are committed, you know, like 9-11, right? So 9-11 was a huge um, event in our lifetimes. Like for most of us, we haven't seen any kind of attack like that on our own soil, on American soil, as we have with 9-11. And it might seem like, okay, well, they came and they took planes and they destroyed buildings, and so then we declared war and searched for WMDs and the whole Gulf War, and then that created more animosity in them and had smaller acts of terrorism go on. But originally, there was other stuff that happened prior to 9-11, So there was a lot of back and forth that led up to that one event, which then continued even more animosity. And at some point, somebody has to say, well, okay, let's figure this out. Let's talk about compromise. If you listen to some of the people that were supporting what happened, the events of 9-11, right? they were saying things like, well, this is revenge for all of the lives lost during the Gulf War and the prior, you know, the Iron Contra affair. And there's, I mean, there's all these things that happen. I don't pay so much attention to geopolitical events, but you can see that just in that small amount that I paid attention to, there was, it wasn't just like out of the blue. They, people hijacked planes and took down the Twin Towers and Pentagon. It, there was, stuff that happened that caused them to do that. So we can see it on a large scale when we talk about war. We can also see this kind of action-reaction on a small scale. You know, you're talking to someone, and maybe you say something that they take in a certain way that creates kind of like a little strife. And so they say something back, and then you're, you're like, wait, what happened? And, and so then you take, you know, we react, and then we kind of go back and forth and then there's this whole argument and before you know it there's like this animosity so every time you see each other you know but we don't really know what started it because you know like I was thinking about an argument I had with my sister one time we were um, in the kitchen cooking and she had said something to me and I got irritated and instead of saying 
noticing that I got irritated, I snapped back at her. And then she snapped back at me. And then before you know it, we were like at each other's throats. And of course, behind all of that is the years and years of history that we have of, of going back and forth with each other. Right? And then it just took one person. She's like, hey, what's happening here? Why are we arguing? We're supposed to be doing this together. And then we kind of like resolved and said, oh, it's, you know, I felt this way when you said this, and I felt this way when, you know, you said this. So it was, there was a resolution that happened in that moment. And that's really how we want to deal with all of our relationships is, is being very mindful of what we're saying. And then when there's a, a reaction that happens, not reacting back and just taking a moment and saying, hey, what happened here? What's going on? Which is really hard to do in the moment. It takes practice and it takes intention. So that's, you know, that's how it happens in our everyday lives. We're not always involved in wars, but we can, you know, friendships can kind of drift apart from little things like this, little things that are said that aren't addressed or that made somebody feel a certain way and so they reacted, and then that made the other person feel a certain way. Yudhisthira here is, you know, he's coming from a place of um, humility and compassion. He's saying, you know, this war was necessary, I understand that, but look at all the enmity. How am I going to take account for this these sins? How am I going to counteract them? Even... Prabhupada said even a thousand Ashramedha yagnas couldn't counteract what he happened there. And during, in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna had a similar type of questioning for Krishna. And he said that in Bhagavad Gita 136, sin will overcome us if we slay such aggressors. Therefore, it is not proper for us to kill the sons of Dhritarashtra and our friends. What should we gain, O Krishna, husband of the goddess of fortune? And how could we be happy by killing our own kinsmen? And in 37 and 38, he goes on to say, O Janardhan, although these men, their hearts overtaken by greed, see no fault in killing one's family or quarreling with friends, why should we, who can see the crime in destroying a family, engage in these acts of sin? So this is the same type of feeling that Yudhisthira is expressing in these verses as, you know, as we come to the end of chapter 8. Last week we learned that Krishna was getting ready to leave and Yudhisthira started offering these prayers. And this is one of the things that he says in these prayers is, how do we deal with this, the fact that I killed all these people? How do I deal with that? And in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, you know, this is my order. This is your duty. You must do this. And therefore, there is no sin incurred. Prabhupada reiterates this in the in the purport, he says, there is no sin committed here because the Pandavas were following the orders of Krishna. But still, King Yudhisthira feels the need to repent for the killing of so many men and feels that no amount of welfare work is enough. So to repent is a big idea. When you hear the word repent, what do you think of? Guilt. There's some guilt associated there. Seeking forgiveness. Any other thoughts about repenting? Accepting. 
authority. So a follow-up question. You said seeking forgiveness. Seeking forgiveness from whom? A higher power, so God, the divine. And that's exactly true. The difference between repenting and asking forgiveness is that repenting is asked of a higher power. The forgiveness is asked of a higher power. To repent is to feel regret or remorse, and that's where the guilt comes in. Right? We perform some action, and now we feel bad for that wrongdoing or that sin that was committed, and we feel regret. Um, but it's more than just feeling regret. We feel the need to make amends. When we are repenting, we want to make amends. And it's really um, specific to our relationship with God. When we repent, it's not that I can repent to um, Sunita or I can repent to George. For some reason, I kept thinking of your sister's name. And then I was like, wait, is it this one or is it that one? Anyway, or, you know, or to Bali. It's that I have to repent to God, even if my actions indirectly affect, you know, the people that I mentioned. So it's really important that we are humble before God in asking forgiveness and being really honest. So when we repent, we have to repent with humility, you know, be humble as you this is doing here. We have to take responsibility of our actions. We have to admit that what we did was wrong. And we actually have to know why it was wrong, not just to say, yes, I that was wrong. We have to know why it was wrong. And we have to trust that God's going to forgive us. I was looking up repenting and came across, um, this was from a Christian um, perspective, but I think it still applies, right? So they were saying the five steps of repenting is we have to be honest about our need to repent. So we have to acknowledge that we did something wrong. There was a wrongdoing that occurred. And we have to be honest about why we did that particular action. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to reconcile that action with God. Um, And we have to stop covering it up. Sometimes we cover up what we did wrong with self-righteousness, like, well, I, I know what I was doing, or yes, I was wrong, I repent. But there's not a real feeling of humility or internal reflection. There might be just an outward show. So we really have to stop doing that when we start to, when we really truly repent. We have to work on internally what caused me to make this action. We have to be honest with ourselves, authentic with ourselves. We have to acknowledge the danger of sin and the damage of guilt. So we feel bad, and that guilt can cause us to take actions that may not be the best in our best interest or the best way to deal with the action that was that was originally created. Sometimes we blame others for our own wrongdoings. Well, if they hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have been stuck in that position, right? And so in this case, King Yudhisthira could have been like, well, if, you know, Dhritarashtra and Duryodhana didn't attack us, then we wouldn't have been in the position to, to fight them and kill them. But he didn't come from that. He just came completely. This was my own. He took full responsibility of, of the killing of during the war. He didn't look at the actions that came before. He just, at that moment, he said, this is my sin. This is my wrongdoing. 
And then it's not only taking responsibility of our actions, but all of the consequences of our actions and the consequences of deflecting responsibility. Sometimes we do a wrongdoing and we cover it up. You know, we may not admit it right away. Um, like I said, we hide behind self-righteousness, like, oh, well, I, I know what I was doing, or, you know, I was in the right in that moment. King Yudhisthira could have been like, well, I was in the right, you know, um, the other side was trying to usurp the throne. So hiding behind that self-righteousness. And then when you honestly assess the consequences of those wrongdoings, it's looking at you know, how did it affect other people? How did my not taking responsibility cause further consequences? So you're really looking at all of those things and taking responsibility for all of it. And then you're confessing fully. You're being completely 100% vulnerable and honest. Even if it's just to Krishna, if you stand in front of the deities and you just sit there and confess fully that this is what I did and this is where the... the and, George, you know more about this than I do, but in the Catholic um, upbringing or backgrounds, they have the confession, the confessional, right? That you go in there and you confess for your sins. And in that moment, you're supposed to confess fully, honestly, openly, um, utterly transparent, and really looking at the full depth and breadth of the whole wrongdoing, you know, digging in deep. Why did you do it? What were the actions? How did that further... Um, entangle the wrongdoing. And then trusting in God. So a lot of times we think, oh, well, I'll just take care of this. I'll fix this, right? Like in this case, the Ashatama made um, the sacrifices, the material work, the welfare work. Um, that can be things that we think, okay, well, I'll take care of this. Instead of trusting in God, that God will fully take responsibility. Once we get, once we take responsibility, Krishna will take over. God will take over. We try to do things to make ourselves more acceptable. Um, so sometimes you'll see somebody um, commit some sin and then all of a sudden they just start donating to some welfare or some charity or they'll show up at like a soup kitchen for publicity stunt to show, oh, they've reformed, they've changed. Their ways, they're thinking about other people. Um, so they're trying to make themselves look more acceptable, but it's sometimes just an outward appearance. And like I said, we want to dig in deep that knowing that only God can save us, only Krishna can give us that liberation and salvation from these wrongdoings that we commit. And then finally, feeling hope from that faith and trust in God. So once we realize that God's going to forgive us because he loves us and he'll forgive us if we confess fully, honestly, openly, and not commit the same sins again and do our best from trying to commit other wrongdoings. Now, in this material world, as we're learning, we're on this journey, we're on the path, we can continue to commit other wrongdoings, other sins. And we know from our definition of sin, sin is anything that takes us away from Krishna. So anything that takes us away from Krishna, because we're, we've got so many material attachments and desires and entanglements, that it's hard to just say, oh, 100%, I'm going to be sinless starting this moment. But And we know it's a process, that slowly we start taking up this process. 
So it's really important that we understand that, but we try not to commit the same sin again and again, especially for begging Krishna for forgiveness for committing that act. We don't want to do it again. And then also act, asking Krishna for the strength to not commit this act again. Sometimes it's hard. You know, if we have an addiction to alcohol or cigarettes, we know that that's kind of a sin that can keep us away from Krishna because it keeps us into our um, bodily pleasures and keeps us entangled in our own material attachments and desires. But it's not an easy one to give up. So sometimes we have to trust that we are helpless in this addiction and that Krishna can give us the strength if we really turn to him. So that gives us hope. We have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and honest. And it's not easy to do that. Sometimes it's not easy to be honest with ourselves. So it's hard to be honest with other people. If we're not honest with ourselves, it's hard to stand in front of Radha Kalashanji and just be like, this is who I am, because we haven't admitted that to ourselves. So we want to work on being very honest with ourselves. And here we learn that um, for the Pandavas, it's a very special case. Krishna was there in person, giving them in-person instructions that you have to fight, that this is your duty, that you know, for the greater good, you, you have to be on the throne so that the kingdom can thrive, so the people can thrive, instead of you know, who's on the throne, and they're looking more out for their personal welfare than they are of the kingdom's welfare. So that's really 100% clear. We can see exactly that Krishna is giving them these instructions, these orders. For us, it's not so clear today. Right? It's hard to say that this is coming from Krishna or it's coming from my own ego. And we can use Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, but sometimes that can be confusing as well, especially if there's a misinterpretation of a shastra, which then the, the sadhus and gurus pick up on that misinterpretation and then go with that. And we see that a lot of times in uh, different faiths. Um, you know, a lot of, I'm again thinking of, uh, of Islamic faiths, there's a lot of uh, people that are that find that it's war is justified and that they're fighting for a just cause. Um, And then you'll hear from other people in the same religion that will say, no, that's not the interpretation of those passages. Um, We've had wars upon endless wars, like the Crusades, you know, that were done in the name of God, but really they were done more for power of whoever was ruling at that time rather than in the name of God. They just wanted to conquer lands and have more riches. So it's hard to say when, you know, the authorities are saying, oh, this is in the name of God, but then we have to look at the actions and the consequences. In the case of King Yudhisthira and Arjuna, you can see that the consequences were very positive, that the people thrived and they were living well, and it wasn't just their own kingdom, it was the entire world that was thriving and living well. Um... In the cases of, you know, like the Crusades or other, you know, the British coming to India and colonizing in the name of the Queen and God that, you know, we're taking over this land, you can see the results are that British got rich and their people lived well, but then the people of India, you know, became more poor and their riches were stolen from them and their culture was stolen. So you can see that that's not 
benefiting everybody. It was only benefiting a few people. So maybe it wasn't what God had instructed at that moment. So we want, when we are taking actions, we want to see how it's going to affect the greater good for everybody, not just our community, not just our family, not just the people that we know, but for everybody, the whole world. We want it to also be for the good of the soul and harnessing everybody's relationship to Krishna. You know, will this activity, you know, will this action help people come to Krishna or will it drive them away from Krishna? So we want to make sure that, you know, when we are looking at these things, that we're consulting scriptures, we're consulting senior disciples, senior um, people that are studying the scriptures, our spiritual teachers. We also want to make sure that it all lines up with our, with, you know, our own intuition. Sometimes when you hear something, it can, wait, is that right? And you start to think, you know, you have to really check and see if it's your ego causing that or if it's truly your soul that your relationship with Krishna is asking you to look into that and question it further. And that's in terms of big actions like war, but also in smaller actions. I remember one time um, when I was practicing, um, and I had a patient tell me, I was trying to explain to her that her lab results show that she has diabetes and that we want to make some changes, and we you know, I was discussing treatment options like medications, changing in um, her nutrition habits and exercise. And her response to me was that I have faith in God, and God will take care of my diabetes. And that's great, you know, to have that level of faith, but sometimes God takes care of us through other people. And in that moment, it was like, well, is God really telling you that, or is that your own reluctance to change anything that's keeping you saying that God's going to treat my diabetes and cure you of diabetes? Um, So, you know... Krishna and God, they work in mysterious ways, so they can come to us in different ways like that. So we want to make sure that when we have these thoughts, that they are actually in line with Scripture, and it's in line with our spiritual teachings, as well as it's in line with what's going on, right? But it also we want to make sure it's not our ego that's causing us to have that kind of those kinds of thoughts. It's always good to lead with compassion. Oh, I thought I had some quote verses here, but in neutrality, I'm going to see. If, I'm going to see if it just didn't come up there. Um, yes, I did have more. So in Bhagavad Gita twelve thirteen fourteen and fifteen. Krishna described, is describing the um, the qualities of one who is self-realized. And the things that he mentioned is one who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities, does not think himself themselves a proprietor, and is free from false ego. One by whom no one is put into difficulty, 
and who was not disturbed by anyone. And then in 18 and 19, he goes on to say, one who is equal to friends and enemies, always free from contaminating association, satisfied with anything. So we can see that Krishna is describing these qualities, that we want to be neutral. Everybody is our friend. There are no enemies. That we don't want to put other people in distress for our own personal gain. So we want to make sure that the way we're acting isn't going to put other people in distress. We're not thinking ourselves, the owner, the proprietor, that we own everything, but that we're doing everything for Krishna. And that's really key. And, you know, some ways that we can do that is just, again, being very mindful of our actions. How are they going to affect other people? Are we ready to take that level of responsibility for our own actions and the reactions of them, of our wrongdoings? So I'll end there. What questions do you have? The Battle of Kurukshetra was actually fought on the will of the Supreme Lord Sri Krishna as it is evident from his version, and by his will only, Yudhisthira is replaced on the throne of Hastinapur. And where are you reading from? Purport. Of today's verse? Yeah, from this verse. Okay. And just to allude to my question was, rather than doing um, such a horrible act as a, a war that killed hundreds of millions of people, why wouldn't it have been better to have uh, had a, an election, use a democratic process, and um, Yudhisthira and Duryodhana could have campaigned, and then um, when, you know everybody would vote, and then they could elect Yudhisthira to the king of the world. Um, I don't really, I don't really have an answer to that. Why they didn't do an election at that time? This was the type of government that was in place. Is you know, whoever's the heir to the throne gets to you know rules. Um, we know that karma plays a big role in at that time of who's born into certain families and their past, you know, the previous lives and their qualifications on that level. Um, we also know that Kshatriyas, the ruling class, the warriors, are trained from childhood to be leaders, to be executives, to be kings. Um, so we know that that those are the cases. You know, I'm not. I don't really know why they didn't do that and save millions. I do know there was a lot of diplomacy that was tried prior. They tried to do a lot of compromises and discussions, and it just, Duryodhan, or is it Dhritarashtra, just wasn't um, upholding any of the agreements that they came up with and tried over and over again to kill the Pandavas.